couple golf trips with Jimmy up in northern Michigan. With your dad? Yeah. Oh, and like, you call your dad Jimmy? Well, I, I'm not going to call him dad to you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay. Yeah. I could say my dad or anything yeah. like Daddy that. took us up. Yeah. To, uh, remember, you know, daddy took us to... <laughs> A lot once again on today's edition of 32 Thoughts, the podcast, Merrick Friedman and Delich along with you. You will hear from the Hughes brothers, Jack and Quinn. You'll hear from Jonathan Huberto. You will hear from Connor McDavid. Also want to remind you, 32tour.com for all the information. Our tour, our Ontario tour, uh, kicks off Thursday in London uh, with our friends hosted by Boston Pizza. So very much looking forward to that. That gets underway on Thursday. London is Thursday. Markham is Friday. And our tour is underway. Elliot, I want to get to some fallout from the Winnipeg Jets situation, but up first, maybe some quick hitters here and a couple of quick updates as we, you know, get set for training camp. Nick Haig, Vegas, Rasmus Sandin, Toronto, and what's happening with Sonny Milano? First of all, Jeff, before we get to the news part of this podcast, I wanted to dedicate today's edition of 32 Thoughts to Post Malone. Wow. How about that, eh? That's tough. You want to talk hockey tough. (laughs) You talk Post Malone. (laughs) <laughs> falls through the stage in St. Louis, yep. cracks three ribs, and finishes the concert. Yeah, man. That's a guy who could dress on a Stanley Cup winner. I am incredibly impressed. You tell me that's not a Craig Berube-type performer right there. You tell me that somewhere Craig Berube wasn't smiling and nodding with approval for each. I was surprised he didn't get at least a PTO. The Blues sent out a great tweet about it, <laughs> but I can't believe... If the Blues were smart, they would have signed him to a, like a one-day contract right away. That would have been a nice little bit of show business. That's one of the things that's always been true about the St. Louis Blues, just as a sidebar too. And this goes back to their their origins in 1967 when you know six became 12. That was a team, not so much now because nobody really has many now, um, but that was a team that always had sluggers. That was a team that always had tough hockey players. And- now... If I'm not mistaken, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, the Flyers fans can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it was after a game against the Blues where Ed Snyder said, we need to have more tough guys than everybody else. It was actually, I mean, St. Louis would run every single team out of the building. They were, before there were the Broad Street Bullies, there were the St. Louis Blues. And it was, I think it was one incident specifically that put Ed Snyder over the top. And it was Noel Picard when he went really hard and really tough at Claude LaForge. And then that was it. And Snyder was like, no more. We're not going to get pushed around by the St. Louis Blues anymore. And then all of a sudden they started drafting and trading for sluggers and they became the Broad Street Bullies. But St. Louis was a team that would, you know, uh, welcome you, welcome you to St. Louis, beat you up, take your per diem, kick sand in your face, and then send you on your way. Like they were the original before the Broad Street Bullies. They were the original bullies in the NHL. That's how that team was constructed. You, I remember them right. also, and I'm really dating myself here. I had some family members who were big fans of Eddie Shack, and they told me the only <laughs> time he ever really got himself beaten up badly was by the Blues. So post Malone. He fits. No question about it. Okay, so let's talk about some news. Okay. So there were four big restricted free agent defensemen, none of whom had any real rights to arbitration or anything else. So Mikey Anderson went uh, signed first, one year, one million, and there's a sneaking suspicion that the Kings and Anderson kind of have an idea of what a long-term deal might look like. 
So that's point number one. Then Sean Dursey signs with the Kings for two years at $1.7 million, $2 million in the second year. So they're done. And that leaves, as you mentioned, Nick Haig and Rasmus Sandin. Now, Nick Haig was skating in Vegas with some of uh, his future teammates while we were there. I heard he was skating there. So I kind of thought that that meant that maybe this was getting close. But then I had a couple of people tell me, uh, not so fast. Don't assume anything there. So it'll be interesting to see if he's there at the start of camp this year or he has to go make other plans to skate. You know, the tough thing there with Vegas is cap. They've got a really tough cap situation. Uh, Laurent Boursois is coming back from injury. No guarantee he's there for the start of the season. I think there were actually going to be people that would be surprised if he was. We'll see. And the other one, too, there is uh, Nolan Patrick. Now, Mm. I had heard a rumor in the summer that Nolan Patrick was going to retire. And I was told that's not the case. Uh, Nolan Patrick has a salary for this year of uh, 1.2 million there's no point in him retiring like he has a salary to collect and you know why not you know I don't really want to editorialize other than you know I wish him the best but I think there are a lot of people who would be surprised to see him play this year and you know they wonder about his future too hopefully Mm -hmm. everything works out for him but you know, they, they have a lot of cap issues here that they have to work their way through, particularly since they're going to need Brassois during the season. I don't know how this is going to work, but like I said, I was optimistic uh, when I heard that he was skating in Vegas last week, but then I had some people say to me, don't assume anything in terms of that means something's close yet. As for Sandine, I don't know that that's changed at all. You know, like I said a couple of weeks ago, I really don't think Toronto has a desire to trade Sandine. I think they look at their depth chart over the next couple of years. You know, you know basically every defenseman aside from Lilligren and, and Riley come off the cap pretty soon. So, you know, I think they have a desire to keep them. You know, the one thing a couple of teams and even a couple of agents were saying to me that you take a look at the two deals the Kings did. And those are team-friendly deals for now. They say to me, it's a bad omen for Haig. It's a bad omen for Sandine. Uh, Unless somebody's coming out here with an offer sheet out of nowhere, they're in tough spots. So we'll see if any of this changes. But at this point in time, it doesn't look like anything's changed in either one of those cases. You know, I, th- I think we're all trying to figure out sort of what the parameters of a Rasmus Sandine deal could look like. Mm-hmm. I'll just tell you, I'll tell you what it feels like to me. It feels like... A high end of Adam Boakfast, which is 2.6, and a low end of Timothy Liljegren, which is 1.4. Like, is the ultimate number somewhere in between those two? It is kind of what it feels like. Again, again, this is just what it feels like to this guy behind this microphone. Does it feel the same way to you? I'm glad you mentioned Boakfast because I had heard throughout the summer earlier in the year when Boakfast signed the deal that that was the guy that was being used as the comparable. And I had thought that too. Hmm. I've heard the same rumors as everybody else, that the Maple Leafs wanted Sandine and Lilligren to sign the same day at two times 1.4. Lilligren said yes, and Sandine said no. I have also heard that the contract that's actually been kind of the conversation in this one is a different Columbus defenseman. It's not Boakvist. It's actually been Jake Bean. 
And Jake Bean is on a three-year contract at 2.3. And still, I have heard from a couple of different places that that contract has come up as a comparable. And I've just been told that Toronto doesn't want to go there. So the two deals that have happened from LA are very team-friendly. And you know what happens. We get down to this and, you know, the players, they want to be in camp. You know, they want to play. I, sometimes the agents will say to them, hey, you got to be willing at least to take this into camp if you really want to stretch the best deal out. And, you know, some people get mad when agents suggest that. I think it's an agent's job to suggest that. I know when I've been represented by people before, they've asked me to do things I really don't like, but I understand why they ask me to do them. I haven't always agreed but I, you have to at least propose it. I think it's harder when you're somebody who's really trying to grow. Like, Dursey had a hell of a year last year. Mm-hmm. Anderson's a, a really good player. I thought it had a heck of a year last year. But those guys are still young in their careers, and I can understand them saying, you know, I'm not ready to do this yet. I think Sandine's a really interesting one because I think the team really is still big on him. He had a rough year last year. Then he got hurt and he couldn't get back in the lineup for the playoffs. He's been a little disappointed about the way the defense looks in front of him. And I think what the Maple Leafs are going to do to him is say, prove it. And, you know, I think Haig is kind of ahead of those other three guys. But as you said, they've got a terrible cap situation. You know, the Sandine one to me is the Leafs are going to say, look, we're, we're not bending here. And, you know, we'll see where this ends up. Uh, Sonny Milano, what's happening here? I think a lot of people are surprised he hasn't found a home yet. Well, I've heard he's going to do a, a PTO in uh, in Calgary. And it might get announced by the time this podcast comes down. But as we tape this on Sunday night, I had another team tell me they're hearing he's going to Calgary and on a PTO. And that's an interesting one. I think that's a, a good gamble for the Flames. I think it's a good gamble for a lot of people. You know, Milano's a really, really talented guy. And if Sutter can find the key here, that could be a big one for Calgary. Treliving has said he's been looking. And so maybe that shouldn't surprise us at all. Now, you mentioned the idea of taking your situation into camp. And I wonder if this is what's happening now with Jason Robertson. If we're looking at a situation where the deal with the Dallas Stars doesn't get done before camp begins. I just heard there wasn't much going on here. I'm so careful of making proclamations because everything can change with one phone call. Robertson's in a bit of a different place than those other DR. He's more established. He just had a 41-goal season. You know, to me, if the eight times eights to players like Thomas and Cairo make Robertson think he's worth more than that, which he probably is, You know, it's going to be tougher for Dallas to do this deal. You know, I sat down with someone from another team and we were looking at Dallas's cap situation. They could do like an eight and a half to nine million dollar deal. He also said I could see why they wouldn't. Because, you know, that means you're taking up all your available cap space and you're ensured that Hudobin's going somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. I still think that there's a solution to this, which is three times seven, three times seven and a half. But as we're sitting here on Sunday night, I had no reason to believe it was close. 
or the stories we're following. Hey, by the way, did you see uh, did you see those visuals of Chris Stewart teaching uh, Philadelphia Flyers rookies the the finer points of the old fistic arts of pugilism (laughs) yeah (laughs) honestly jeff i'm surprised when i see that in this day and age because it becomes such a lightning rod and i thought it was really interesting especially because when we interviewed cam atkinson in vegas Hmm. one of the things they talked about was the flyers said we're not getting pushed around this year anymore yeah i mean people think the broad street bullies right and no, I mean let's let's be realistic. You know, at the the era of hockey and how young the the league is getting, and obviously, you know, I look at a team like the Islanders, their fourth line. You know, you know when those guys are on the ice because they can hit, they grind, and they can score goals. You bring a guy like Deloria who's going to be playing with probably McEwen. Both of those guys are, you know, arguably a couple of the toughest guys in the league. You're going to know when those guys are on the ice, and we're not going to get pushed around next year. And you know, going into these games, especially on the road, and Torts has said it, and I continue to say it, people are going to know when the Flyers are going to come to the building. And that's what you want, you know. That's what the Blue Jackets, I mean, you knew it was going to be a hard game. And I think getting that identity back that way, just with hard work and in your face, making it hard for your opponents, but also, you know, getting to the dirty areas to score goals. You know, Torts is, is big, his philosophy is protect our Blues make it hard for people to get to in front of our crease, uh, block shots, but also make it hard for the opponent get in their crease and score dirty goals and get your nose you know, in there. And uh, we'll get back to it. We started this podcast, right? Talking about the Flyers identity and the blues. And in this day and age, I, I think we're all very sensitive about this stuff. I'm not anti-fighting, but I also recognize what we've learned and the damage that can be done And I'm just, you know, I I remember years ago, I was represented a long time ago by Gord Kirk. And Gord Kirk, when he was an NHL player agent, he brought in Mike Marson, who was a very, very tough player and was long retired. Yeah. And he would teach uh, Kirk's prospects um, how to defend themselves, how how to fight. And he did it with martial arts training and all this stuff, too. And Marson's comment was, you don't have to go looking for it, but if it happens, you have to know how to defend yourself. And I didn't see the Flyers game the other night against the Rangers. They beat the Rangers prospects 5-1 on Saturday. But I heard one of the Flyers players was pushed around a little bit. And that's why they did it. They said, okay, if this is going to happen... If you're going to get involved, you better know how to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look at Chris, and also obviously we work with Anthony, and I just wonder, if Chris and Anthony went toe-to-toe, who would win? And, of course, I'm going to say Anthony because I sit next to him. <laughs> I don't see Chris, so I don't have to justify that answer to him. Uh, and I understand it. If it's going to happen, you have to know how to defend yourself. Yes. Just in this day and age, when I, when this, and I'm not a squeamish guy. Like, I'm not necessarily anti-fighting. But I just recognize in this day and age, people are much more sensitive to that than they were, say, 10, 20, 30 years ago. The, the only thing that visually was a little bit eyebrow raising for me was normally when you see this, it's from one player to another. You know, usually it's, you know, one of the, the older guys who knows how to scrap, who's teaching the rookies how to do it. And it's player to player. Yeah, it's never someone from the coaching staff or in Chris Stewart's case from player development. 
I'd be foolish to say that this, you know, this stuff hasn't happened for years. You have a tough guy in player development. Hey, can you teach me the finer points uh, of how to do something like this? You know, like a guy like Brad Stobitz, for example, you know, is one of the assistant coaches with the with the Sarnia Sting. I'm guessing he's probably teaching some of those kids how to defend themselves in junior hockey should someone older and stronger start to pick on them. But that was the only thing that looked a little bit unique to me because normally it's, if that were Nick Delorier doing that, Okay, or if that were Zach McEwen doing that with the rookies, we look at it and go, okay, that's a player to player thing. Mm-hmm. The only thing that was different it was it was someone from player development. That was the only thing that looked a little. Again, I'm not I'm not going to pass judgment on it. It just looked different. Don't forget, like I don't even think you're allowed to have your veterans in camp yet, right? Oh no, no, I'm just saying, like normally, like when yes. when you have a situation where there's you know one kid who's learning how to fight, it's a veteran from the team, not from the coaching staff or from player development. But I looked into it and I was told specifically that there was one flyer pushed around, yeah. and they just said these guys have to know how to defend themselves in case it does happen. And you know what? The other thing I thought about last year was the Arizona. Anaheim thing, right? Of course. Where one thing they said to Troy Terry was, if you're going to go in that way, you could get punched. Mm -hmm. I understand why people are going to look at that and and not like it. Like, I wish myself, when I was a kid, I had done some kind of self-defense training. I'm going to start doing it with my son because there were a couple times I got in fights that... (laughs) I, I got drawn into, and sometimes I did okay, and sometimes I did not so okay. So I always kind of wish that I, I knew how to defend myself a little bit better. One surefire way to defend yourself, Elliot. I always remember one thing. What's that? Five on two. <laughs> that's always that's always a good way of that's always a good way of doing it. By the way, how about Atkinson? There's another clip I really love from his interview where we asked him if it's true that Tortorella sent them out an email saying, you better be in the city by September 1st. You better be ready for a hard camp. And what did he say? I I can't uh, confirm or or deny, but uh, it's, uh, you know, the boys are excited. And we know that we have a lot to prove, and I think we're going to prove a lot of people wrong. Yeah, I think that was pretty much a confirmation right there for each. <laughs> I want to get to some of the follow-up from the Blake Wheeler situation we talked about last week on the podcast where we talked to Mark Shifley. And, mm-hmm. you know, no longer the captain with the Winnipeg Jets. And listen, we had Shifley on the podcast talking about how he'll still look at Wheeler like, you know, he's the paraphrasing here. You look at Wheeler the exact same way. He's still a leader in that room. He's still a captain to a lot of guys. You know, it does sort of wink at the conversation about how hot you run your room and how demanding you can be as a leader in the room. And I've always thought that there's a fine line between running it hot and bordering on bullying. And no one really knows that line other than you feel it when it's happening. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it from time to time with various players. Like on the one hand, you want to have players that run the room hot because you want players to be accountable. You want players to lead. You want to you know show younger players what is acceptable and what is not. But at a certain point, too, you can really lose a lot of players along the way. What are your thoughts on that? This is something I had a lot of conversations about on the weekend. Because if you ask about any of the teams that have won Stanley Cups, you know, for example, we've talked about this now, Jeff. That Colorado-Tampa Stanley Cup final last year, mm-hmm. there was no room for passengers. And if there was a passenger, I don't think they could have played. 
you know, we've talked about the Tampa room and other players have talked about the Tampa room. It runs itself and those players are incredibly demanding of themselves and each other. You look at Boston, which was a great team for a long time. That room led by Chara and Bergeron and then others, Marchand, Krejci was back. They were incredibly demanding of themselves and each other. And the thing that was really interesting to me about the Jets situation in particular is that for a long time, you know, the Jets were incredibly happy with their room and there were other teams that looked at the Jets room. Like remember when the Jets were signing guys like Wheeler to eight-year deals and Bufflin to eight-year deals and Shifley to an eight-year deal? Like nobody thought the Jets would be able to sign players like that. And, you know, teams said, wow, like they must have a really good culture that they've got players who are willing to stay like that. And, you know, we did an interview uh, with Shifley and Wheeler together at the All-Star Game in San Jose, and they talked about their dedication to fitness and things like that, about how they studied the, the TB12, the Tom Brady thing. And I had a couple teams say to me that, you know, they were like, I wish we had a little more of that. The thing that happens is, and this is what a few people said to me, the most difficult thing is, and you kind of alluded to it, is you have to be demanding, but also inclusive and welcoming. And this is what what everyone almost said. It's a lot easier to do that when you're winning mm-hmm. as opposed to losing. Like there have been cultures that have been really good cultures, but when you start to lose, they go sideways. And, you know, in Winnipeg, we've talked a lot, you and I, about how when Bufflin left, the dynamic really changed. Yeah. And, and I think that really had a big thing to do with it. But in Winnipeg, when you're winning, everybody talks about what a great culture you have because you're demanding. And all of a sudden, you start to lose. And all of a sudden, people start to talk about, are you demanding or are you getting unrealistic? Are you going over the line? And, you know, Winnipeg is the one we're talking about right now, but it happens all over the league and it happens all over sports. And, you know, one of the great stories I heard about Patrice Bergeron, for example, at the 2019 uh, Stanley Cup final, I heard a story about Bergeron that I thought was, was really special. So Bergeron played his 1,000th game on February 5th, 2019 in a 3-1 win over the New York Islanders at home. And one of the Bruins was in the lineup that night was Trent Frederick. That was Trent Frederick's first NHL season. It was actually his fourth NHL game. And I heard that sometime after that game was over, Bergeron gave out gifts to everybody who was in the lineup that night and all the Bruins who were kind of around. And he walked up to Frederick at some point and said, hey, I just wanted to make sure, did you get your gift for being in that lineup that night? And, you know, that's Trent Frederick's fourth NHL game. He probably doesn't think Bergeron knows anything about him. And I think that's a small thing, but a huge thing. Now, I'll say this. I think, like we've said, I think there were a lot of talks that didn't go that far, obviously, about Wheeler getting traded this offseason. I think the Jets wanted to see it, and I think Wheeler wanted to see it, and obviously it, it didn't happen. 
it is my opinion that the Jets had made a decision a while ago that they were going to make this change. And the question was, would Wheeler go with it willingly or would they have to step in and say, no, we're, we're doing this. And I'm not surprised the way that Wheeler reacted the way he did. Uh, you know, there was some, some surprise, I think, um, you know, to, you know, have it kind of be your first conversation with a new coach was, was surprising, but um, I've had, uh, had time to let it sink in. So, you know, um, you know, he gave me a little, uh, little headway. So it's, uh, you know, I had time to process it. I don't know how much you want to share of your reaction, but, you know, he says he's going to do this by committee. Are, are you set out to buy for an A or how, how are you going to respond to this? I don't need a letter on my jersey. You know, I think there's a time in my career where that validation was important to me. Um, I don't need that anymore. You know, um, I'm I'm really looking forward to watching. You know, a lot of the guys that I've had a privilege watching kind of grow up, um, step into sort of an expanded role, and um, you know, if you think that. Uh, because of this, I'm just going to fade into the back and, and not be a leader on this team. You know, you're sorely mistaken. But in just in conversations, you know, around the league, it was just interesting how it changes in a few years from Winnipeg has this great culture to now Winnipeg has to smash its culture and start all over again. And sometimes the line is tough to figure out as you say sometimes it's are you demanding but not welcoming sometimes you move from well we were winning and now we're losing sometimes you get stale but I do think it went sideways in Winnipeg I don't think it's all Blake Wheeler's fault but I think when you're the captain you you take an outsized amount of responsibility and you know the rules going in you're the captain that's what happens. And Jeff, I I just think in five years or how many years you ever want to say it, the Jets went from everybody looking at it and say, this is the way it should be, mm-hmm. even from outside to we've got to change it. And a few teams said to me, it's amazing how quick it goes from one side to the other. Right, and you're seeing it play itself out right now in uh, in, in Manitoba, and th- that that to me, we thought they're going to be a fascinating team in the off season, and they have been, mm-hmm. not for the reasons we thought. We thought this was going to be the great stripping down of the Winnipeg Jets, but the bonus news caught people by surprise. The Wheeler news last week uh, caught people by surprise. I I really do believe that we should be poised to be surprised this season by what happens in Winnipeg, and probably not make any assumptions about what they're planning on doing. You know, the other thing too is, I think Bonus is the kind of coach that can handle this. Here's why I agree with you. Because, and I I heard these stories from people coming out of Dallas. When Rick Bonus took over from Jim Montgomery, it was a really tough situation, as we all know, and a really Mm -hmm. sensitive time for the Dallas Stars. We all understand that. And there were times where Dallas played great, and there were times when they went on horrible losing streaks, right? We used to make the uh, you know the the toilet seat at the stag and doe joke, like they're up and down and up and down, and like who are the the Dallas Stars? And there was one losing streak that they were going through, and you could see after the game, 
it was a perfect recipe and the perfect moment for a lot of coaches to go into the dressing room, you know, kick the garbage can, you know, light everybody up, Roman candle everybody, because he could just see it and you could feel it. The tension had built up to that fevered pitch and you just got the feeling, man, I don't want to be in that room because bonus is going to explode. And as people told me, he did the opposite. He got a chair and he sat in the middle of the room and he said, really calm, something to the effect of, we all need to talk about this. And I want you to get it all out in the room right now. I want whoever wants to talk, I want everybody to talk about this right now. And I'm going to listen. You guys talk. That's why I think he's the right guy for this. Mm -hmm. That's why I think he can handle this. Mm -hmm. Because he has that emotional maturity, not just to react instinctively, where most would just most coaches might come in just house on fire and lose it because it might feel cathartic for a couple of minutes and then you realize, oh crap, I've done even more damage. Bonus has been around long enough to know when to push and when to back off. Mm -hmm. He's seen enough players. He knows enough players. He's he's been in enough rooms. That's why I think Bonus is uniquely qualified for this job yeah i i agree with you on that i i think he's blunt and he's honest and he's fair you know what another player said to me about this was he said that um we're talking about leadership and uh it, it was really interesting someday i'd love to i'd love to find a guest who will talk about this like maybe a a, a player wife or or something like that but you know he said to me that if you're the captain and you're married or have a serious partner, you know, she's a huge part of the group, right? Mm -hmm. You know, she helps arrange all the parties. Uh, she makes sure that all the wives are comfortable or all the partners are comfortable. It's a huge, huge role. And uh, if it's not done properly, it can cause a lot of problems. Yep. This player told me a few years ago, we played in a team where the captain's wife was very close with the coach's wife and that made people really uncomfortable someday we'll find a guest to talk about that i think i think that would be a very interesting conversation because as you know jeff happy wife happy life yep so playing is hard enough and you know if you're if, if you're on the road half the year and your, your family's not happy you've you've got a lot of problems so that was the other thing that another player talked to me about was You've got to make sure that in your leadership group, you also have the partners of the players who understand how important their roles are. Hmm. By the way, Jeff, before we move on to the interviews that are part of this pod, yeah. you know, first of all, I, there was a lot of good reaction to our, our Saturday four-pack of <laughs> Shifley, McKinnon, Barzell, and Crosby. Yeah. Particularly Barzell being insulted that I said he was wearing Chelsea boots. That was so good. Oh, it was so good. It was it was like it was like he was disgusted. He was, he was disgusted. disgusted at you, Elliot. <laughs> it was perfect tone. But one thing I, I just wanted to say is I got a call from someone on Sunday earlier yeah. today, and they said they think that the Islanders and Barzell have begun talking here. Ah. And he said, I'm not giving you any more because the moment you say this on the podcast uh, Lou Lamorella will have the CIA out looking for the leaks. 
but he said to me they think they've begun talking about it. I don't know what the likelihood is, but the conversations are underway. They're sitting on a gold mine in Matthew Barzell, both on and off the ice for each, as we've talked about. Uh, when we return, you'll hear from the Hughes brothers, Jack and Quinn. You'll hear from Jonathan Huberto of the Calgary Flames and Connor McDavid, uh, the other half of the Battle of Alberta, him, of course, of the Edmonton Oilers. 32 Thoughts, the podcast continues. You know, Elliot, when you uh, when you make a list of the best skaters in the NHL, uh, the Hughes boys, Jack and Quinn, are right up amongst the top players in the NHL when you're making your best skaters list. And also, interestingly enough, uh, when you're making a list of the best interviews in the NHL, we're starting to find out now that the Hughes boys, and we'll find out what Luke is like when, when he enters the NHL once he gets comfortable, the Hughes boys are up around the top of a lot of lists as well. We're going to get to the uh, the Battle of Alberta pair here, Connor McDavid and Jonathan Huberto. Uh, but up first on the podcast, Quinn and Jack, the Hughes brothers on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Enjoy. Vancouver Canucks defenseman Quinn Hughes joining us now. One word, Quinn, to describe your summer. I said... Quinn Hughes, describe your summer, one word, what's that word? Fun sounds bad, but I guess I'd say fun. We, we had a fun summer. Okay, yeah. first of all, who's we and what did you do? Me and my friends in Michigan, my brothers, um, I don't know, we trained, we golfed, we went on a couple trips, we went to New York, went to Hawaii. Yeah, it was, it was fun. We surfed in Hawaii first time uh, doing that. It's a lot How's harder. Than, it's harder than it looks, man. Like, no, it looks hard, dude. The waves, looks like, hard to begin getting with. out there is the hardest part so hard to get out there like the waves just keep pushing you back so it was fun we out there for a couple hours every day and yeah it's good see that's a true vancouverite they love going to hawaii that's where they go on vacation. yeah a lot of canadians down there yeah, yeah. We, eastern people we go to florida the western people they go to arizona or hawaii yeah sure so yeah. that's good we're in new york i got like 20 cousins and my grandfather down there so we went there after the season and we went to the hamptons for the fourth of july that was fun as well so what's it like golfing with the Hugheses? Not that fun. Like <laughs> my dad, Jimmy, he he won't talk. You won't get a word out of him. Like really? He's, yeah, is he he's, game seven. He's game seven. He's doubting. He's trying to beat us. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Like uh, it's fun though. It's competitive. We enjoy ourselves. We just got into a nice course in Michigan, and mm-hmm. it's actually uh, right on our lake, so we can drive our boat or walk over, and we just hop over. Like we'll hop over every night, like seven. And the sun doesn't go down until 10 in Michigan. We'll just play like 13 holes. Really peaceful. Are you the best golfer or who's the best golfer? This is a touchy subject because last week, our first round was, or our last round was on a Tuesday. And we were like, all right, this is the last round of the summer. Whoever wins this is the champion of the house and like the best golfer for the year. And I won it. I beat everyone. And then magically we were like, oh, let's play Thursday. <laughs> Was that, who, who said that? Well, I wanted to play too. I'm not okay. going to say, but it just opened up that like everyone was done packing or whatever. And we played Thursday and Jack shot the lights out and beat me. Oh, so he's okay. the champ. Yeah. No, but the thing is, this is what you have to do. Because I remember when I was a kid, I entered in a badminton tournament and I lost in the final. And the kid who beat me said, you want to play some more? Because I had fun in the match. I go, are we putting the championship on the line? He goes, no, no, no. I won the championship, but we can still play. Yeah. So you could have pulled that stuff. Oh, well, I did I pull that card. I yeah. said, like, what do you mean? There can't be two championships. Like, <laughs> what happens if I won the one championship, you won the other championship? We, we're both champions. No, it's like, 
whoever won the last round is what it is. <laughs> I thought I was going to win. My, I played good too. He just outplayed me. Oh man, that would be tough because he's probably going to let me remind you about it all season. Yeah, it's all good though. I, oh yeah. I'm going to try to get out in van golf a bit too this year. Be good. Nice. Chance to watch your brother Luke play at the juniors? Yeah, I did. Yeah, he was really good, I thought. Those games start late, though. Mm-hmm. Now I know what my parents feel like watching me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like 10, 10, 10, 30 starts, it's tough, especially when you're working out like 7, 8 a.m. And we watched. It was fun. It's disappointing they lost that early, though. Mm-hmm. And he got hurt. He's still not even skating yet. He's getting better. I think he's going to start up this week. But, yeah, really liked his tournament. I thought they had a good team, too, They're just – you know, it's those one games are tough sometimes. Anything can happen, man. Yeah, anything can happen. So you got out to Vancouver for a day, yeah, before he had to come back for this. Yeah, I was telling you, like I had so much stuff, I didn't want to, you know, carry it here and then go to Van. So yeah, I went for a day. Said hello to the boys and said, "I'll, I'll see you later." They said, "Where are you going back to Michigan?" I said, "Yeah, enough. You guys are ready." <laughs> oh, but, but it's good. The, the thing that you said, I didn't. So Brock Besser drives thirty-two hours. To Vancouver yeah. every year? I can't remember if it's 29 or 32. I mean, at, close at, enough. At that point, though, it's a big difference. Like, <laughs> but um, he's got the two dogs, so he, uh, yeah, he drives down. Yeah. So did you notice anybody who looked particularly good or particularly out of shape or anything like that? I can't. Yeah. No, everyone looks good. I mean, I'm really excited about the team this year. I think uh, we added some good players and. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, Bruce first camp with Bruce is going to be good, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it should be competitive. And everyone looks, you know, dialed in, so it's exciting. I wanted to ask you about Besser specifically. He just did a really good story with Mike Russo about where he talked about how hard last year was, and you're in the room with him. You know, um, you know, he's not necessarily saying it in the public, but you know how excited is the group for Besser? Like just after everything you went through last year, to be able to start fresh with a clear head. No one can speak on that situation like I don't know what that feels like, but he, yeah, his dad was not doing well. And I think the thing with him is like you see him in September and then you leave and like Duke couldn't travel, obviously. So you don't see Duke until we play Minnesota. Next time we played Minnesota was like in April. And I think Brock couldn't believe like, I don't want to say how bad he looked, but like how the situation was going. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was hard on him. And that's, that's. A terrible thing his mom's an angel and was doing amazing and was all at home alone uh, with duke and then contract years hard enough like i i dealt, dealt with that a year and a half ago or two years ago and that's enough pressure too so with those two things yeah it's really tough and i'm excited from i think he had a really good summer after everything that happened he moved homes in minnesota yeah i think he's excited he's got his deal done mm-hmm. he really enjoys vancouver i know that and uh, I'm excited. I, I hope he has a really good year. I think he will. I think him and Bruce are get along nicely. And um, same thing with Petey, you know, like tough start to the year last year. But then the last 14 games, he had 13 goals. And I think they're both just going to, you know, take that going into the year. You know, Quinn, you, like, the, the thing that you had the contract stuff last year, too, as you mentioned, like, I wonder, you, you've sort of been around hockey all your life. Yeah. I mean, it actually came out really stupidly, but like you understand the business of it, I think, a bit more than a lot of other guys do. Do you think that helped you at all? Yeah, it did to an extent where I was like not too worried about the contract. I was more worried about my game. Like I wasn't playing that great. So I was like really uptight about my game, but not about the contract, if that makes sense. Yeah. I was like, all right, like I ended up getting 7.85. If I get 7.5 or 8.25, like 
I'm still doing okay. It's basically just an ego thing at that point. So for me, I was like, all right, I'm going to be in that ballpark and I can live with that, obviously. And I'm happy about that. For me, it was just like, I was dashed and I was like, Jesus, like, I wasn't happy about that. That was what was going on with my contract here. Yeah. And another thing no one talks about is like, that was when everyone dealt with this, but it was COVID year. And I would go to the rink, skate at 10 a.m., be home by one, and you weren't allowed leaving your apartment. Yeah. So I'd be by myself from one to like 11 at night. And it's like uh, American and Canada, all my family's in the U.S. So you're just sitting in your apartment alone. And that was tougher than anything for the whole season. You know, we, we talked a lot about that on yeah. this podcast while it was happening. And, and the one point that we'd always end up getting to was, this has got to be awful. Just tell how you're talking, Quinn. This has got to be awful on young players. Yeah. Other guys have families to go to. Yeah. Young guys, early 20s, not attached, family elsewhere, can't go anywhere. Like, hockey's hard enough already. Yeah. A season's long enough already. The games are tough enough already. Then to have that on top of it, and that's all young kids that are just finding their way in the NHL. Yeah, that was hard for sure. And like, it's hard for everyone. I want to say like, even though guys have kids and families, it's not hard. It is hard. But for the single guys, and we were just sitting in our apartment all day long, I, our team got COVID. You guys had a bad case. I remember. The whole team, yeah. Really bad case. So I was just sitting in my apartment 14 days. And I did that twice because to enter Canada, you do the 14 days. And then I did the 14 days during the year. And I, I actually had a great apartment. I was Troy Stetcher's place. Mm. And it was it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. But I was like, Stetch, sorry, I can't go back there. Like, <laughs> I spent 28 days in there. Like, I never want to see that place again. And it was a beautiful spot. But I was like, I got to get out of here. And he's like, I totally get it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. you, you, know, it, it's, you know, you talk about that. And, and I do think, like, in, in the Johnny Goodrow situation this year, I had guys tell me that it, not only in the States, but in Canada, there were players who said, I'm going close to home. I'm going close to my family. Because if God forbid anything like this ever happens again, I want to be able to see them. Yeah. I totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and from your parents, here. no one could get over the border. Yeah. And like Jack was in New York, obviously, and I have like 20 cousins there. Mm-hmm. And all my family's there. And uh, things were starting to open up there. So he was having his fun and they were doing their thing. And my parents were up there and I'm just sitting in van on my phone. And then the COVID happened, the 14 days. So our season was pushed back. The Islanders in Pittsburgh were in game three and we were playing the Calgary Flames and we were both no, out of the playoffs. We were playing the Flames like eight Four times in, in nine ga- nine days. How it was like those games? We call it the mud bowl. It was like, what is it in semi-pro? The, yeah. yeah. What do they call like the game at the end? Like uh, the Flint mud bowl. I think that's what they're the, calling The Flint mud bowl, man. Yeah. What a but what a We played them reference. four times in a row. Yeah. And obviously no fans and the playoffs were going on and both of us were out of the playoffs. It was like, boy, like I'm surprised you didn't throw those ones contract here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Outdoor game, Edmonton Oilers, Montreal Canadians, Commonwealth Stadium. It is freezing. It's like the coldest day of the year and they're playing this game. And as the story goes, and George LaRock told me this, like on the record, this isn't like telling tales out of school. LaRock told me like, the Habs went to the Oilers and said, guys, it's way too cold to hit. Like, let, let's not do it. And you go back and you watch the game. Like, it's a no-hitter. Like, yeah. I would be thinking, like, if That's either funny. you guys or Calgary, in those empty calorie games that are outside of contract situations yeah. that are kind of meaningless, do you say to yourself, let's just make sure we don't get hurt here? It was tough. Yeah, I think that's the thing. No one wants to be an idiot, but um, like Petey was injured. 
we had a couple guys out. Like we didn't really have anyone playing. We were losing five one in the second last game of the year. Going in the third, I remember Millsy just saying, right, we got like this is embarrassing. <laughs> we tie the game five five. Imagine that. Like <laughs> no like the game two is going on in the Islander series. We're mucking it out. It's five one, it goes to five five. It was like a crazy game. Goes into OT. I don't even remember who won. I think they won six five, but it was like it was a crazy game. I remember we were all like yeah. So JT Miller stood up and said, This is I remember him saying to me, like, we're walking off the ice, like, hey, get going. Like, this is bad. And like we were all trying, but like it just it was just like a loose game, but it was funny. Yeah. That was a weird time, man. I remember just being really excited to get home at that point. Mm-hmm. What um because we all had our expectations of what the offseason was gonna look like for the Vancouver Canucks. Did you have any expectations of what Rutherford Alvin were were gonna do in the offseason and were you surprised at what they did do? Yeah, I had no expectations. I mean, like that's not my job. They're gonna do what they wanna do and I was happy with what they did. I, I didn't know the Kuzmenko kid at all, but I skated with him yesterday, and he's... How's he look? Really good, really good. And uh, the kid from Toronto, too. KF, yeah. He's so fast, and uh, he's given me trouble in the past. I think those are great additions. Lazar is going to be a great addition because... He's a great guy. It's always been Bo that has to go take the D-zone face off and sacrificing himself and, like, grinding it out in the D-zone, and he's too tired to go... And I think Lazar will be able to take some of that and Millsy too. And hopefully PD can expand as well. But yeah, so I'm really happy with what they did. But for me personally, it was all about what I needed to work on in the summer. And um, they gave me things that they wanted to see for me. And that's what I was focused on. What were those things? What did they tell you? For me, I mean, I, I had a good year on the ice. Like I was happy with how my year went. And I think they were too. I think one of the things is, for me, it's all mental. Like Roman Yossi had 110 more shots than me. And I think that's a crazy stat. So for me, just shooting a bit more, but then off the ice, trying to expand as a leader, being in the rink earlier, working out, just being a professional and trying to expand my role on the team. I think that's what they want to see. And I think I'm ready for that. So how, like, how do you do that? Like, what are they talking about with that? Yeah. Like, it's not like something that you just change and, you know, you don't want to be, you know, be fake. Like for me, I'm always going to be who I am. Yeah. So that doesn't mean I have to show up to the rink and be first to the rink, but just trying to be professional, um, working out like during the year, like keep maintaining my strength, eating healthy, like just trying to push it in any way I can to try to, you know, get an edge and then bringing my teammates along as well. I mean, I'm a younger guy, but going on my fourth year and trying to expand my role, but I think that's what they want to see. I'm actually a little surprised to hear that, Quinn, because in the limited amount of time that I've dealt with you, I've never like thought like you're you're quiet you don't say yeah. a lot but i can tell like you you cannot stand losing like you hate it yeah so i'm actually a little bit surprised to hear that anyone would think that you need to do more of that because you always seems that you do that yeah i do do a lot of that like i love hockey i'm always there on the ice early and last guy off the ice like i really enjoy it for their aspect, I think they just want to see me try to be the best I can be in every situation, in every area. And I, like, I welcome that. And like I said, I want to be a leader. And if I'm doing those things, then I can ask my teammates to do those things and try to do the best at, you know, at what they do. So I think that's where it comes from as well. When you hear things like the Vancouver Canucks are doing this on the Hughes-Pedersen timeline, what goes through your mind? I don't know. Like... I will say my first year, everything was perfect. It was like rainbows. I went in. I <laughs> I did very well. Yep. My second year, I struggled. Lost like 
not lost my confidence, but I remember going in the summer like, man, like I got to dial him in, like I got to have a better year. And I think I did that. And But at the start of last season, I was like nervous going into the year because I had no camp. And I remember my first game in Edmonton, I did not play well. And Greener was on me. My second game in Philly, I played very well. Third game in Detroit, I played well, but we lost two to one. Fourth game, I was injured, didn't play the fourth game. So I was like nervous. And then I got it on the rails and I had a really good season, I thought. And now I feel like I'm able to like where I'm at a point where I can really push this thing and see what I can do. Were you surprised Miller got re-signed? To be honest with you, I was because I didn't hear anything about it. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't talk to anyone and I don't bring it up to Millsy because, you know, it's his thing and I don't want to be, you yeah. know, he never asked me about my stuff, so I never asked him and um so just all the things you were hearing with the media was that they were trying to trade him or he was, I don't know, whatever everyone was hearing. I mean, I was mainly hearing it from you, from your yeah, podcast. I'm always wrong. Don't listen to me. So I was listening to you. So then I was just on my phone one day and I saw that he signed and I was like, I didn't know it was coming. So I was, to answer your question, I was surprised, but I was very happy. And Bo, do you say anything to him? No. And that's another thing. Like Bo could sign today. I'd, I'd have no idea, but I'm hoping they get that done. I think they will. And they really like him. So. That's great. Uh, Quinn, thanks so much for doing this. Best of luck this season. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Sorry I led you astray. (laughs) No, you're good. (laughs) Jack Hughes, New Jersey Devils. Your brother sat right there about 45 minutes ago, and I asked him the same question I'm going to ask you. His answer was fun. Let's see what yours is. If you could describe your summer in one word, what would it be? Probably fun. Yeah. It's a great summer, you know. We both love Michigan, so it's yeah. great to be back there just doing our thing, seeing our friends and uh seeing family. So we had a blast. All right, the golf. Yeah, we're diving into that early. Like Quinn basically said he won the family golf championship, but then you invented an extra day so you could take it from him. And you dusted the field. All right, yeah. So this is what happened. My thing was we had last round, right? Yes. So we thought it was our last round. Me, him, my dad, and I think it was a buddy. So the four of us. Like, I was smoking them all summer. All summer. I'm probably like, if we played 30 times, I probably, 20 wins, 10 losses, right? So my thing is, how can you not be the club champ in the family if you're 20 and 10? So we played, he was terrible. He shot like a 92 and I shot a 93. (laughs) Like, we were terrible, like embarrassing. He beat me and I was like, are you kidding me? So then we went out, me, him, and another buddy two days later. And I was like, this is it. This is the legit club championship. Like we played way better. I shot like an 81. He shot an 83. And that was like the legit club championship. Because it's like, at our best, I'm better than him. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like at our best, I'm better. And I was better throughout the summer. So Why did your brother describe that differently? Well, <laughs> actually, you know what? It was pretty close. I have to say. Similar. Yeah. They- similar, Yes. He just said that the Tuesday that you guys went out, that was supposed to be it. It was over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could say that, but <laughs> I think if I'm 20 and 10 throughout the summer, which I'm probably more than, so uh, probably played more than 30 times, it's, you'd think I got a better crack at it. I don't have a brother. I have four sisters. This is what I missed. Like, I have to say, this is what I really Insane missed. competition into your 20s? Yes. Yes. Yeah, man. It was everything, though. Like, few days, like 95 in the middle of summer, we're all at the country club with our all whites on playing tennis. Guys are leaking bullets. It's like, <laughs> just going ham. It's hilarious. But Who's the better tennis player? Oh, we had some dog fights too. 
Z lived with us for like five weeks. Mm -hmm. He's legit. He's legit tennis player. Yeah, like you know, mm -hmm. nice country club kid from New York, Bedford. <laughs> he's taking tennis cl tennis classes when he was a young kid. Me and Quinn are just out there whacking the ball around. So it's uh, it's funny stuff. That's good stuff. I love it. All right, New Jersey Devils. Andre Palat comes in. John Marino comes in. Vitek Vanacek comes in, and there's Brat resigns. Like, there's some really good momentum here with the New Jersey Devils. How are you feeling about your team right now? There's definitely some traction, you know. Management had a really good summer. You know, we all want to take the next step, and I think this summer we made some really good pieces, some moves mm -hmm. uh, that'll help us become a better team. You know, so I think. We can't just look at like the whole season, like oh, we got to make playoffs. We just got to take it a game at a time, go take it a month at a time, and and see where we are. Cliches do not suit you, Jack. I've got to tell you, <laughs> they do. They do not suit you. Like to hear you say game at a time, like because I'm I'm used to your confidence, even though it's probably true. It's weird to hear you talk like that. Yeah, I mean, I've been so far away from the playoffs, you know, so I can't sit here and act like I know what it takes because I don't. So. We said it last year and we didn't do this, but we just got to stay in the race and uh, play important hockey down the stretch. You know, we can't be putting the cart before the horse. We just got to go out there and try to improve every day. The thing that interested me most about you in the offseason was, I don't know what the Devils were thinking coaching wise, but you came out and you backed Lindy Ruff and he's back. And I thought that was really interesting that it's clear that the franchise listened to what you had to say. Our dad probably taught us to be like stand-up people, you know, and Lindy Ruffs treated me with the utmost respect, you know, so I'm not going to just not tell my feelings. You know, I, I believe that Lindy Ruffs a great coach, and I think we probably we failed him last year for sure. So I think it's only fair he gets another, another crack at it. So, I mean, those are my beliefs, and I don't know anything about the team listening to me or what, but I'm sure it had a, a little bit of help to do with it. But I truly believe in Lindy, and... I think he's a, a really good coach still. How has he helped you? What has he done for you? And he's the guy that gave me a chance. I had a, a terrible rookie year, and, you know, he gave me a call that summer, and he watched my game, and he believed in me. And, you know, even my second year, he gave me every chance. And we have a really good relationship. And, you know, last year I was able to have a really good year, but that's the guy that's had my back since he walked into New Jersey. Hmm. You know, there's, a, there's an old sports saying, speaking of cliches, uh, you are what your record says you are. Bill Parcells. Uh, but I can't help, you know, looking at the New Jersey Devils, like at the end of last season, you know, I look at the record and I say, New Jersey's better than that record. There's a better team than the record at the end of the season. Did you guys feel the same way? I would say yes and no, you know. You know, we beat some really good teams throughout the year, but uh, consistency just killed us. You know, we went through like a 10-game losing streak in yep. December. Like, you go on a losing streak like that, you're so far out of the mix. It's it's trouble. So that's why I'm saying we just got to take it a game at a time. And if we're on a two-game losing streak, we can't make it three. We got to get a win, you know, stop it there. So it doesn't just snowball like that. But we had a lot of injuries last year. I think we were better than we were. But, you know, it's a fresh year and we got a new team. So it's exciting. Between beating Quinn most of the time in golf and battling Trevor Zegers and Quinn on the tennis courts. What did you work on on the ice? What did you say this is This is what you're going to see new for me this year? You know, I just continued to work on my game. Speed, probably the number one thing in my game. Worked on a lot of that, but for me, my shot mostly. You see what guys are able to do. I think the guy everyone talks about is Matthews. You see his shot. Um, so for me, working on my shot, uh, my goal scoring, you know, I think I had 
pretty good year in that in that aspect last year with the amount of games I played and the amount of goals I scored. So uh, if I keep that touch going, and you know that'll make me even better. Uh, I'm curious when you see Matthew shot and you say I'm going under the ice and I'm working on it. What do you do? Everyone sees how he pulls it into his feet, changes the angle, can pull it in and shoot it one way. I'm not the only guy. I think everyone in the league's looking at it and being yes. like, "Whoa, I'm sure I won't be the only guy in here saying that today." But you, you know what? But that's interesting to me. Like, it's clear there's a bunch of players who look at what he does and say, "I'm going to work on that." Yeah, like obviously, guys in the past have been like one timer specialists or whatever. But this guy can just pull one in his feet and snap one and beat the goalie one on one. You know, and that's that's a hard thing to do, especially when the goalies are so good. So that's something I worked on a, a lot and. A lot of it's just the mindset to shoot the puck, too, I think. Just sometimes it doesn't have to be a perfect shot. Just get it on net. Uh, we talked to Nico Heischer in Europe, and Heischer, to me, is right there in that conversation for the Selkie Trophy. Like His defensive numbers, five on five, are ridiculous. Like he's next-level player. What's it like playing with someone like Nico Heischer, your captain? Like what? Do, what I'm always curious, like what players see and value as opposed to guys like me and Elliot – I mean, first of all, he's a world-class person. You know, he's just a great guy, um, a great friend, great person. And then his game, I mean, 200-foot, hard to play against. I think people buy into the numbers too much, you know, but this guy's matching up for everyone's top lines. He's just a horse, plays through a lot of injuries. He's our captain, you know. When mm-hmm. you go through a five-game losing streak, I don't have to go up after a shutout loss, I don't have to go talk to the media. Like right. Nico's the captain. You think he wants to go talk to the media after we get shut out? No, but that's his duty. So mm-hmm. I think uh, he deals with a lot of things, and he's, he's done a great job. So obviously, like, the heart and soul of our team, and I think he's going to get even better this year. Will you search for a new roommate this year, or are you going by yourself? No, man. I'm going to enjoy one year by myself, and I got <laughs> the kid from Michigan coming to live with me the next year. So. Mm-hmm. How's uh, how's Luke doing? He's doing good, man. He's uh, I know he's dinged up, but yeah, he got hurt at World Juniors, but um, he'll be ready to go for the start of the season. So you will be living together a year from now. You wouldn't make him go and find his own way no, or anything man, like that. This kid's a beauty. I'm gonna jump right in. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's my brother, you know. <laughs> that's gonna be a lot of fun. I think we all look at that and say, like, that's a cool story, right? The brother story is always a great one, and uh, in, in any sport. But I mean, again, I asked you about Nico Heischer and that skill set. Like, as much as you can separate yourself from being his brother, for anyone that hasn't watched him play, like at Michigan, like, what do we expect here from Luke Hughes? Yeah, I mean, it'll be fun to play with him as brothers, but hopefully we can do something great together. You know, this, I don't know. Like, it's a weird thing where, like, he was so good his freshman year, you just don't know where his potential is. Like, could he be a guy, like, that's a top 5D in the league one day? Who knows? He had such a good year last year and. I don't know he's different than he's different than Quinn, obviously, just because mm. you know how unique he is, how big he is, and how well he can skate. So, everyone in New Jersey has a lot of big uh, expectations for Luke, and you know we got him and Nemec now. So, I think uh, people are pretty he's good by the way, pretty certain on who our our one two are going to be for the next bunch of years. So, I think we're in good hands with those two. Is Quinn going to unveil anything new this season that you saw? Uh, I don't know. Did he tell you something? Or no, what? He, I didn't even ask, I don't think. <laughs> I think Quinn's going to have a good year. I think he's really focused, and you know he had a really good year last year, and it's going to be even better this year. And, and that's the thing. I was kind of surprised to hear it. I told him because Quinn is a serious guy, and I think he, he obviously takes it very seriously. But they, they talked to him more about just off the ice being even more of a guy that people follow. And I don't know what you can do to work on that in the offseason, but he said he took it very seriously. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like funny when you say he's so serious because, like, <laughs> yeah, you see a different side. Seeing this guy, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, like, he's really motivated. That's a really good word for him. He's motivated. You know, he's now going into his fourth year there. They they want him to be a leader, and you know, they got big goals for themselves too. So he's kind of the leader back there on the blue line, and I'd say his game's been there. And they probably want him to step it up away from the rink too. Last one for me. Um, how do you guys compete during the season? Me and Quinn. Yeah. Because points aren't really fair. Yeah, this guy's three nothing versus me, bud. <laughs> Look at him, hockey DBs. He's beat me three years in a row. <laughs> Christ, guy's killing no, me. No, but but the, the day's gonna come where you're gonna pass him. As good as Quinn is, you're gonna pass this him. year. This, this year. year, there you go. <laughs> no, but um, you know what though? Like we're really competitive in the summers, but. When it comes to the in-season, you just wish for the best, you know? Like, if Quinn has a three-assist night, I'm pumped for him. Like, send him a text, they got to play. But, like, I'm not, like, sitting here like, God, like, Quinn got a point. Like, no, like, that's my brother, you know? I hope he has a tremendous year, and I know it's the same for me. So, um, you know, I love watching him play and think he's going to have a great year. But I'd say the only there's probably two games of the year where we're actually competitive was when uh, – we play each other, so that's about it. How much money is on the board on that one? <laughs> Good amount. <laughs> that's, that's definitely a big game. Said it. <laughs> yeah. Last one for me, and is sort of picking up on the on, on the last question as well. Uh, I'm not much of a goal setter myself, but then I'm not an elite level athlete playing in the NHL. I know that beating Quinn at the end of the uh, season on Hockey DB is an important one for you. <laughs> I want to see more points there. Uh, any other goals for yourself this season? Yeah, uh, I do have goals, keeping my head, but I got some goals in my mind, and some attainable, some might not be, but um, at the end of the day, no matter how my year goes, you know, I want to just help the Devils win and, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully push us to have a chance at working towards a playoff spot. So I just got to continue to do what I was doing last year, and, you know, it'll work out for me. You're a fun player to watch. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Have guys. a great yeah. season. Yeah, we'll see you. Elliot, I think we're at the point now with Jack Hughes where you just know it's always going to be a good interview. Great energy, great insight. He's fun, uh, has a good time. You can tell he really enjoys this. Quinn of the Vancouver Canucks is a little more reserved than Jack is. But I'll tell you, I love that interview with Quinn Hughes. Like when you want to talk about a player, you know, sharing and maybe going farther than you would have expected him to go, certainly at this point in his career, I think we really got that with Quinn Hughes. He's a great talker. Quinn's always been a little bit quieter than Jack. What it says to me is he's finally getting a lot more comfortable, right? Yeah. You talk about demanding. We talked about the, that's the theme of this podcast, demanding. He's really demanding of himself. And I think what it shows to me is last year, he's a lot more comfortable in his own skin after the season he had. Certainly true. All right, we uh, hit a pause. We'll come back and celebrate the Battle of Alberta with uh, two key players in it. Uh, One, Connor McDavid of the Oilers. He's been in plenty. Do you think he's a key member of the Battle of Alberta, just out of curiosity? Uh, Yeah, I kind of think he's at the center of a lot of things. Maybe (laughs) at the center of the entire NHL universe, uh, for that matter, uh, Elliot Friedman. And uh, Jonathan Huberto, who has yet to participate, but will get at it soon. Hubert Owen McDavid as 32 Thoughts continues. Joined by Connor McDavid of the Edmonton Oilers. So elite level players like yourself always have a thing or usually have a thing in the summer. 
once upon a time, your thing was, I got to shoot more. Once upon a time, your thing was, I'm going to take a million face-offs with Will Acton and get better at that. Did you have a thing this summer, Connor McDavid? There's always a focus on rounding out my game. I think, um, you know, that's, it's always kind of been the knock on me is, you know, I don't like to play defense, but certainly not the case. I focus a lot on defensive play and we'll watch video and, you know, so just being solid in my own zone and, it's always a focus of mine and something that I work on every summer just through video and stuff like that. This summer I watched a lot of video just on scoring goals and how guys score different ways. And, you know, for me, it always feels like I got to score a highlight real goal or do something crazy to score a goal. You know, we watch a guy like Austin score 60. It's so impressive just the different ways he scores goals and in and around the net. You know, he's got such good hands and he's so smart. It was impressive to watch. So who's on the videos? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm curious, like, who impresses you? Like, there's Austin's one, Kucherov. We can go through the, the, uh, the obvious ones, but like, Who's yeah, on these videos? Yeah, I think you, you know, obviously the guys that are, are scoring lots of goals. Um, obviously Austin and like watching Leo, how Leo scores goals. Um, he scores them so differently. Different ways to produce offense. Offense is such a hard thing to produce in this league and you got to keep mixing it up. Uh, otherwise, uh, people start to figure out. Okay, I'm ruining a t- uh, an interview here because we, we we taped an interview with, <laughs> I'm not actually ruining this one, I'm ruining another oh, one. Okay. Uh, we taped something with Leon in Europe and uh, we're going to use it in TV, but I can't not talk about this. We were talking about your relationship, and he says the best thing about Connor and I is that we're really blunt with each other. And I said, well, okay, so what are you blunt about with McDavid? And he said that he thinks you should score 60 goals, but you're too unselfish, <laughs> and you have to be more selfish, and he thinks you can score 60 goals in this league. Uh, he, he always tells me that. Um, he always tells me I could score more goals, but... You know, I think uh, Leo and I's relationship is something that uh, is important to me. I think he's important for our team to be successful, and we're great friends. And, you know, like you said, he is, he's blunt with me, and, you know, I tell him how it is going the other way. So I guess i got to start by scoring 50 before, <laughs> before working my way to 60. But, you know, scoring goals is uh, the hardest thing to do in this league, so it's a pretty good thing to focus on. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing. Are you too unselfish? Like, we're all told from when we're kids, that's a bad thing. Don't be selfish. But do you reach a point in your career, Connor, where you say, you know what, I have to be more selfish? Yeah, I mean, I play the game like I see it, you know. Um, that's kind of how I've always been. I just want I want to make the right play. I like setting my teammates up just as much as I like scoring goals. So, um, But there are for sure times where, you know, I can take the shot or attack the net or do something else and, and instead of passing it off. So definitely can be a little uh, more selfish, I think. What's the most blunt thing you've ever told Dreisaitl about his game? Leo's favorite thing, I think, uh, when he talks about his game is just to kind of defer. And I think everybody kind of sees that. You know, he's obviously comes from Germany, you know, not necessarily a, a hockey powerhouse, although it's getting better. You know, so he's always kind of just uh, deferred to other people. And, you know, I just tell him kind of how good he is, honestly. And He's so modest in that sense, you know, where I don't think he understands how good he is and how big of an impact he has on, on the game. And I think the more he understands that, the, the better and better he's going to be. You know, so I just try to, to remind him that uh, you know, he's definitely, in my mind, a top three player in the world. And you know, some nights uh, he can, you know, I guess, uh, be more assertive. You know, in that interview with Leon, we talked um, a lot with him about how in the playoffs, um, after the, the, the entry against the Kings, he became the world's greatest stationary player. Uh, it was r- remarkable. I, I don't think we'd ever seen anything like that. Yeah. Were there ever any moments we said to Leon or maybe even thought like, hey, it's okay if you can't go? Uh, to be honest, no. You obviously worry about future damage and you know he wants to play for a long time. And yeah. I think when you're in the playoffs, you're just such in a, 
you know, we got to win right now. And, you know, it was always his choice to play. And, you know, obviously he's a, a team first guy and didn't want to let us down. Although, you know, I don't think anyone would have, uh, would have been upset with him, you know, not playing with a high ankle sprain. What I mean, that's the, the, the hardest thinking? thing. It was hard to watch some nights. I got to be honest. Like yeah. uh, I told him that after the playoffs, it was hard to watch it some nights where, you know, he could barely get himself back to the bench and, you know, he's in so much pain on the bench and he goes out two minutes later and goes for his next shift. It was, uh, Pretty remarkable to watch, you know, as, uh, as his teammate, um, but as his friend, I think it was uh, it was hard to watch at some points for sure. I wanted to ask you about, uh, there's a change in your team this year. Two of your most driven off-ice guys, Mike Smith and Duncan Keith, won't be back. Mm-hmm. And what one of your teammates told me was that you cannot underestimate how much those guys pushed people. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how they played on the ice, off the ice, they were a big part of the emotional leadership of the team. Mm-hmm. How does that change your group? Well, I think even though there's a lot of the same faces in a lot of the same rooms each and every year, there's always a different dynamic in every room from year to year, just uh, based on your pieces you add in or the pieces that kind of walk away. And obviously, um, you know, losing Smitty and Dunk is is massive for our team in in the room. It's not something that um, you know has gone unnoticed, and and something that you know a lot of guys are going to have to pick up where we left off in terms of leadership. Guys are going to have to step up and maybe be a little more vocal than they're they're comfortable being and that's just the way it goes in hockey. Could you ever come close to Keith in the VO test? In <laughs> the VO test? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't do a VO test uh, last year, but he's definitely a, a physical freak and takes a absolutely perfect care of himself. So, Was there anything uh, that he did that you looked at and said, like, what, what is that? Like, what, what are you doing? Uh, I think... Uh, I think there's lots when you're just, you're kind of like, what, what is that? But, you know, you definitely don't question one of the greats of all time, one of the greatest demons to ever play, what they're doing off the ice. I think the funniest part about Dunk, and this was kind of early in the season, he would come up to me and be, you know, before games and be like, you know, what do you want to see out of my game tonight? And I'm like, what do you mean, man? Like, you're one of the greatest demons to ever do it. You know, cups, gold medals, Conn Smythe, Norris's, all this. And he still just wanted to learn and ask questions and, and get better. And I thought that was uh, absolutely, um, you know, the coolest thing for, for someone like me to see, you know, just someone who's accomplished it all, still working on his game and, you know, obviously taking great care of himself and wanting to be the best that he can be. I thought it was uh, it was really cool to see. Did you say you better hit me on the tape, Dunk? Like, that, that's what you have to do? Like, put it on the tape? <laughs> he would always, you know, say like, patty cane or something like that would just tell him to give him the puck or something like that but you know no i was just told him i think you know what you're doing out there so just keep doing what you're doing uh, i want to ask you about the calgary series that was an incredible performance by the oilers but that seemed like that was a really determined oilers team like that oilers team grabbed calgary in game one dragged him into deep water and said we're staying here for the whole series did you guys feel different in that series like that was a that's what determined. you saw in game one? Well, not, okay, not, I shouldn't say game one. Game one was wild, by the way. That was crazy. <laughs> I was going to um, say. But, like, there was an element of we're, we're making a statement. Yeah, no, I think uh, it's been a long time coming for our group to make some noise in the playoffs. You know, and obviously it's it's not even easy to get in. So every time you do yeah. get in, it's uh, you got to make the most of it. And I think, uh, you know, we, we learned a lot from our Winnipeg series. You know, the, the COVID year obviously was a sweep, but – you know, I think maybe we took a little bit for granted just even getting into the playoffs. And, um, you know, you think uh, it's going to be easy or something like that. And it's it's so hard to win in the playoffs. And obviously we're starting to learn that and understand that. And, you know, Calgary is uh, their big physical team and, and they thought they were going to bully us around. And, you know, we 
just wanted to play our game and kind of hung in there with them. And obviously, game one didn't go the way we wanted to, but you know, we have uh, we have a belief in our room that we're as good a team as any around the league, and we can beat anyone. And we kind of just hung on to that. You really looking forward to seeing Cadre eight times a year for the next seven years? <laughs> well, we only play Calgary three times this year. Actually, I know. It's, but, I, I don't uh, like that. That's that's terrible. I really don't uh, like it. No, he's definitely a pain to play against, and you know, I uh, would have liked to see him go other places, but you know, he picked Calgary, and you know, it's something that uh, we'll deal with. Did you watch like the Colorado series over again or anything like that? Did you, in all your tape watching this summer, is there anything you looked at to try to find something on them or? Anything like that? Uh, I watch a lot of my games over, just shifts and stuff like that. But, you know, definitely watch those over and try to figure out where things went wrong and where they had so much success. And you, know, you pick up on a few things, but it's so different from year to year. So, yeah, no, I thought they were they were playing great hockey and it was just their time to win. And, you know, obviously they got it done. When you watch yourself, what are you looking for? I'm sure there's a lot of kids who want to know, like, what does Connor McDavid look at when he watches himself? What are you looking for? Yeah, you're looking for things to improve on. It'd be easy just to kind of sit back and watch highlights and things that you do so well. But for me, I think you want to look at things you can get better at, things you may have missed, things that uh, where things are open, you know, time and time again that you, you seem to miss, um, you know, and, and just trying to get better. I think that's obviously the focus of every hockey player in the summer is just to get better and kind of bring some some new stuff to into the season the, the next year. Speaking of that Colorado series and that Colorado team, People have noted um, something along the lines of, if Connor McDavid were a defenseman, he'd be Kale McCarr. <laughs> a, your thoughts on Kale McCarr and your thoughts against playing against Kale McCarr. <clears throat> yeah, I think McCarr is um, on another world in terms of being a defenseman. Um, you know, he plays a position so well. Uh, he does so much for that team. You know, he's definitely a huge part of that team and just breaks pucks out so well, defends better than I think people give him credit for. Although he won the Norris, so I think they give him lots of credit. But, uh, <laughs> but you no, know, he defends well. You know, he skates so well. Even if you beat him, it's still a race to the net. You know, you're not, mm -hmm. and and, uh, and he can catch you a lot of times. So, a lot of respect for him and his game. And you know, he's he's great. You know, it's funny you mentioned about getting back into the playoffs because when we interviewed Drysaitel in in Europe. He said the same thing. He said, "Look, we won around in 2017. We took Anaheim to seven games. We thought we were fine, and then we didn't make the playoffs for years. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder when you look at that time and now, after the run you guys just had, what do you think is different about yourself and as an organization that that won't happen again? Yeah, I actually just got this question a couple of days ago. I think it's just the culture in Edmonton now. You know, I think we were we were so young. You know, it's kind of all of our first time going through it, and it just became like, uh, well, we're supposed to be there, so we'll, we'll we'll get there. And I think we certainly learned that that's not how it works in this league. And I think the culture in Edmonton is more of a winning culture now. I'd like to think same core guys that are there year in year out, and just getting hungrier and hungrier to win. Really, no one's gonna give it to you. It's not just gonna happen overnight. And it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of work right from day one. And I think that's the the attitude that we we try to bring every year. And you know, we've had some success uh, here the last couple of years and gotten in and gone on a little bit of a run. But you know, it kind of starts over here and in, in, in the next week. You wear your emotions on your face. Like when I watch your games, I can tell how you feel. <laughs> That's not a good thing. <laughs> actually, actually, as, as a broadcaster, no, no, as a broadcaster, no, I love it because I know, like, what are the kinds of things that, like, if I'm Connor McDavid's teammate, which I'll never be, what would I do that would get me the McDavid glare? Like, what is, <laughs> what gets the McDavid glare? Oh, um, 
Don't look me off on passes. <laughs> no, that's not. That's not. I mean, we're we're just we're hungry to win in Edmonton, and you know when things aren't going well, obviously it can be frustrating. But um, you know, I think just you want guys that that want to win just as bad as you do. That you know you can feel that you feel they're there alongside you and they're with you. And if that's not the case, then it can be frustrating. How do you? And this is a, a captain's question. Um, how do you know when to pull back? Mm-hmm. on teammates like we've seen we've seen some players like some captains run the room really hot and it can burn other players out it can burn teams out how do you know like do you have like just a sense of like okay you know what i just need to back up here yeah that's that's a great question and something that i continue to learn um obviously being a captain young in the league it's a learning experience i think it's a it's a job that i certainly didn't feel necessarily ready for i don't know if anyone feels ready mm-hmm. for that job but definitely more comfortable being the captain now than ever before. And I think, you know, when to push, I think, you know, when to, when to hold back. And I think it's just a feeling that you get. There was a time in the season, one of our younger guys, and it was a big game for us, um, kind of in the middle of the year, maybe didn't feel like a big game, but it was a big game in our room. And I was pushing on him and he pushed back a little bit. And that for me, was a good tell that um, he probably needed to be given a break. And I think it's just little moments like that as you go through your career that you're going to have those different times and you, you learn from all of them and try to make the best read as you go. Last one for me then. Did you ever, did you watch the Jordan documentary? Yeah. Like, do you see any comparison between how he did it and how you do it? Uh, it's tough to compare yourself against one of the best athletes of all time. I get it. Um, I definitely see his passion and I definitely understand where he's coming from when he's trying to do all those things and you know some people maybe see it as uh him being mean or something like that but it's just passion and it's just him wanting to be the best and wanting to win and i can definitely relate to that okay i I can't let you go before i ask one geek question and i'll make it quick (laughs) sherwood sherwood oh geez um again trying to get better and uh, any way possible and if uh if i'm a little more comfortable in that stick give it a chance but i think we'll stick with ccm Perfect. Thanks, Con. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Con. New team, new deal, same elite hockey player, Jonathan Huberto of the Calgary Flames, with us on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. How are you today? You've had a crazy summer, safe to say? Yeah, yeah it was. I'm doing well. I'm really excited for a new chapter. It's interesting because you plunk yourself now right in the middle of arguably the best rivalry in hockey. I know other teams may dispute that, but the Battle of Alberta is special. Uh, I know that you know Florida and Tampa was really heating up as well. You're in one now that has history and not just history in the, the past, but like recent history as well. How much have you thought about what it's going to be like to play Edmonton? Yeah, it's going to be something. I mean, even just watching on TV, like playing for Florida, like it was just something you you can feel like the intensity and there's always fights and everything. So I'm excited for for that. And the second game of the the season, we're playing them already. So I'm excited to get into it and uh, start to hate the the Oilers. (laughs) Who will you hate more, the Oilers or the Lightning? Obviously, you hate the Lightning. I mean, they beat us. A lot of times um, in Florida, but um, it's in the past. I try not to think about about that. So I think now it's going to be the Oilers, and uh, obviously when we play Tampa, probably have a little something. But uh. it's probably the Oilers now. Now you were basically for people who are not familiar, 
Jonathan is in his regular suit with us right now, but earlier on you were on the ice taping some openings for us and you're wearing your Flames uniform. So what did that feel like putting that on? I think it looks good. I mean, it's not weird. I mean, now I know I'm going to play for them and mm -hmm. it's, uh, I like the color actually red, you know, it's red, but it's more like, it's, it's more red. <laughs> it's more, <laughs> more towards the orange. Mm -hmm. And now I'm excited to wear, it was kind of the first time I wear it with my equipment. Mm -hmm. So, um, that was cool. And a new number too. So mm -hmm. I mean, I'm excited to rock that in front of her fans. I saw you at the Canadian uh, country music awards. Let's go, Calgary. You guys fired up? That's what we like to see. Flames fans, uh, y'all in good hand. Uh, let me tell you something. This man single-handedly made me not lose in my hockey pool. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. This is a real deal. Um, here tonight, uh, we're here tonight to present the award for group or duo. Uh, and it feels good to celebrate some good old-fashioned teamwork, doesn't it? Now, John... You love country music. Real quick, what do you think about the nominees? Oh, you know, they all have solid role game. They give their all on stage. Obviously, they have a lot of good heart, a lot of energy. They stick to the game plan, and then they're able to take a big shot. They go for it. I'm excited to see how it all plays out. Thank you. Thank you. Here are your nominees for Group and Duo of the Year. Group or Duo of the Year. Do you really like country music or are you just playing for the Alberta fans? No, no, I like country, but it's been like two or three years actually I started to kind of listen more. Really? Country. In Montreal, it's not really big. So mm -hmm. yeah, in Florida, kind of liked it. It was some country festival and I like it. And they just, I guess they heard it and they said, you want to present an award? And I was like, sure. I don't really like doing that, but I was like, oh, why not? I'll do that. It's going to be good for us. When I saw you doing it, I was like, if he's just doing this to embrace Calgary, I give Hubert no credit. He is all <laughs> in on how to embrace Calgary. No, no. Very well done. <laughs> Thank you. You know, when you, uh, when you leave a team, it's always tough to leave teammates. Who are you going to miss the most in Florida? I know you're looking forward with Calgary, but as you look back at Florida, who do you miss the most? I'm going to miss, uh, I mean, we're a close team last year, so I'm going to miss a lot of guys. But, I mean, Barkey, I was with him for a lot of years but most uh, I think Ekblad I mean I was living close to him and we're driving together to the ring for every games and uh, it was like me Uyghur and Ekblad so he's kind of the one that lost both of us so and he's pretty outspoken about it. he isn't shy about saying like, how much this affects him yeah I think it's gonna take time but it's gonna be fine <laughs> and I think it's just but I mean you know you keep your friend for the rest sure. of your life and even even though we're not teammates anymore, it doesn't matter. We're always going to be friends and uh, looking forward to play against him now. Jonathan, when the Tampa series was over, did you guys look at each other and say, there's going to be changes because of this? Did you guys have a feeling? A little bit of a feeling, but I thought we were still going to have, a, you know, I think another chance at it. We still had a good season. And, uh, I mean, you saw Tampa, they lost in four against... Columbus before they start yep. winning mm -hmm. so I was like you know kind of seeing that and saying we didn't have a lot of experience in playoffs our team and kind of learned from that but Bill Zito decided uh, otherwise obviously but you know now thinking about it it's like 
you know, I'm going to bring my experience with uh, Calgary. And I think I learned a lot from last year, you know, seeing Tampa, how they were playing against us and seeing Stamkos blocking every shot, stuff like that. And I think I know what it takes now to be winning and I'm going to bring that with the Flames. You know, you're part of this era of hockey um, has sort of heralded in the playmaking winger. And we think of Patrick Kane and we'll think of Mitch Marner. And you're in that conversation, too. Have you been told what your role will be or what's expected of you in Calgary yet? Or is it just, we just want you to be Jonathan Huberto? Not really. I mean, I talked to Dara a little bit, but I think when training camp comes, I'm probably going to have the, you know, I don't know. I started playing penalty killing last year, so I'm not sure if I'm going to keep doing it with the Flames, but we'll see. I think, you know, there's a lot of guys that shoes the puck like real well mm -hmm. Lindholm you know Toffoli they got great shots I'm kind of like you guys said playmaker so I think I'm going to be playing with Lindholm but I, I'm not sure how it's gonna it's gonna go what was your first conversation with Sutter like yeah it was good I mean he doesn't say a lot no he doesn't doesn't say a <laughs> could lot, you but, understand what he was saying to you uh not at first but <laughs> he's uh he was on his farm so the signal was uh <laughs> not too good obviously he's, he's different but he demands that you know you to work hard, and I think it's going to be good for my game. And I think Calgary is a type of team they play well defensively. You know, low-scoring game. I mean, not the first game against Edmonton. <laughs> But uh, usually, you know, they play. They have great goaltending. And uh, defensemen, they're big. So we're a big team. So I'm excited to see, like, you know, that, that style of coaching. And I'm just looking forward to play uh, for Daryl. You could have played this out, Jonathan. You could have... Just said, you know what? I'll see how this goes. And like, was it a really good meal in Montreal? What was it that you know? <laughs> like, it would have been easy for you to wait. I just wanted to know where I was going. Mm -hmm. Like, instead of just going there and be like, "Am I going to be Flames for a lot of years or for until trade deadline? Like, what is going to happen?" So I don't know. I'm kind of gut. I want to know where I'm going in life. You know, sometimes you don't know it's a business, obviously, but. Mm -hmm. I just, uh, you know, I think Brad, you know, came to Montreal and we had a really good talk and didn't talk contract. It was more to get to know each other. And I like his philosophy about where the team was going. I'm coming in with a team that we can win right now, I think. So I, I like that. And that's why I wanted to commit to this team and know where I'm going. I'm going to be a Calgary Flames for the next uh, nine years. So. Did you say, Mackenzie, I signed, so you have to sign too? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm telling him, but I mean, it's a business and they, <laughs> they're going to do their part on, on their end. But yeah, I would love to Mackenzie to sign, uh, you know, with Calgary. It would be nice, you know, to have my friend beside me for a lot of years. So hopefully they, they find an agreement. You've played your whole career in the East, uh, now playing in the West with Calgary. You have played, obviously, teams in the West. Is there a difference at all in the two conferences? That's a good question. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you more when I, <laughs> after uh, some games uh, this year. But yeah. I mean, used to say the West, you know, was bigger. They hit more. And used to be like that. Used to be like that. I don't know if it's like this anymore. Uh, East is pretty tough now. I think that division, with Florida and stuff, that's a good division this year. Like Ottawa, Detroit got better. Mm -hmm. so it's going to be a tough division, but I'm excited. I mean, to go on the West Coast and it's going to be different. You play more games against these teams and it's going to be just a different environment this year and I'm excited. Who are you most glad that you don't have to play against anymore? Probably Edmund. I, I mean, you know, I, I, <laughs> as you were asking that, I said, I bet you he says Edmund. He's, he's such a good defenseman, that yeah. guy. You know, he's good offensively, but defensively, he's, mm. he's as good. And he's a big, big guy. You know, he plays hard. So, yeah, probably him. And 
I mean, Vasilevsky too. Mm-hmm. He's uh, mm. grown on me. <laughs> <laughs> is is there anyone in Calgary in particular you're looking forward to playing with, or getting to know a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Lynn Holm. I think you know, I'm I'm excited to play if I can play with him. He's a guy that when he shoots, I think he's gonna score. So I just try to get him the puck, and I think we have a good. I think Manjapani is a good player mm-hmm. as well, and. Yeah, that would be probably the two guys that like to play. But every guy, I feel like we have, you know, Kadri, good player, really good player, actually. Just won the cup, so it's cool. It's Foley is a great shooter. So a lot of guys I'm looking forward to play with. I, I'm curious, John, was any part of you thinking about going home to Montreal? Was there any part of you that thought maybe you were going to be a Canadian? I know a lot of people were saying that. They were like, oh, I play one year and play for Montreal. But mm-hmm. As much as I love Montreal, it's, I don't know, I think it's a tough city to play for French uh, Canadian. Mm-hmm. You know, Calgary traded for me, so mm-hmm. if Montreal wanted to trade for me, they would have <laughs> traded for me. So I think that's how I see it. And I want to play for a team that wants me, and Calgary wanted me, so that's why I wanted to sign a big extension there. Mm-hmm. The extension then, obviously coming out of that conversation with Brad Treliving, who sort of talks to you about what this team is right now, where they're going in the next few years. This is still a team that has its window open. Yeah, and I think Daryl wants to, you know, he doesn't want to rebuild and he mm-hmm. wants to coach for yeah. a team that has a chance to win the Stanley Cup. So I could see like his plan and I, I liked it. And I think you were looking at the salary cap too. They had some room and... You know, they, they could sign Naz and they could sign Uyghur too as well. So I think we have a, a great team and I, I like your team. I mean, that's why I didn't mind signing an extension there. And I believe in this team. So. Now, so next year, first time you play Florida, you've got the puck. You're coming down the wing. Ekblad closes in on you. What happens? I'll probably beat him. But. <laughs> not, not probably. Not probably. And then I got Bob. No, no, I mean, it's going to be emotional. I'm excited for this game, though, but I hope I score. I mean, everybody wants to score against his old team, but, I mean, I don't like them anymore. So that's, uh, you know, that was my team last year, but now I'm going to play against them. So this is over. There's one place where you can still play with Aaron Ekblad, and that's Team Canada. How much do you think about international hockey? Yeah, that would have been fun. I mean, the Olympics, that was kind of, you know, my prime and... Hopefully, I'm gonna be have the chance to play in the in the next one. But playing for Team Canada, it's something special. You know, representing your country—that's what you want to do with all the best player. I mm-hmm. think it's a it's a great um, opportunity. And hopefully, yeah, in the three years, I'll be able to play. Uniform look great on you. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks for doing this, John. No problem. Thank I want to thank all of our guests today who were our guests last week when we were in Vegas. Uh, Jack and Quinn Hughes, Jonathan Huberto, and Connor McDavid. Don't forget 32 Thoughts, the podcast on tour that kicks off Thursday in London, 32tour.com for all information and how you can be part of it. Taking us out, a four-piece band from London, England. Wonder Horse is fronted by Jacob Slater, a man who has played his fair share of sticky, sweaty basements up and down the country. After dropping a few singles over the last year, the band just released their debut EP. From that record, here's Wonder Horse with Leader of the Pack on 32 Thoughts, the podcast.